From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. Trauma is a leading cause of death for Americans, and many of those who suffer a traumatic injury may die because they bleed to death before medical help arrives. Today, I'm talking about pre-hospital blood transfusions with Dr. Jordan Holliday. He's an assistant professor of emergency medicine at Upstate University Hospital, which is Central New York's only level one trauma center. Welcome to HealthLink on Air, Dr. Holliday. Thanks for having me this afternoon. Now, there was a case reported widely in the news in central New York of a man who lost both of his legs in a corn picking machine in the town of Green uh, back in March 2021. A New York-based medical helicopter wasn't available, so Guthrie Air came from Sayre, Pennsylvania to help. Tell us what difference that made. So from being outside of New York, uh, Guthrie Air wasn't required to follow the same rules and regulations that a New York-based EMS agency would be able to follow. And in this case, one of the important aspects of the difference in care that they were able to provide is that in Pennsylvania, air EMS agencies are able to store and then initiate blood transfusions during the transport of critically ill and injured patients. So we're talking about whole blood like you would get in a hospital. Yes, it does vary from state to state whether the transfusion is whole blood or packed red blood cells, um, but certainly just having the availability of blood products to transfuse en route can make the, a major difference, in, uh, especially in trauma patients. So what do you think might have happened to this trauma patient if he didn't receive whole blood in the field? It's difficult to extrapolate in this particular case, as I wasn't directly involved, but certainly patients who have life-threatening hemorrhage from very severe injuries can only compensate for so long before they reach a state called irreversible shock. And in addition to the severity of his extremity injuries, uh, organ dysfunction and failure, and ultimately cardiovascular collapse can occur if a significant amount of blood is lost at the scene and is not able to be replaced. Well, in a situation where the patient has to be extricated from farm equipment or from a car or something, uh, how do you stop the blood loss, but at the same time, try to replace the blood that they have lost. This can definitely be a pretty challenging scenario. Uh, so when patients are entrapped and require extrication, either from motor vehicle collisions or other um, industrial machinery, it can be difficult to assess where the source of the bleeding is coming from, as well as accessing the site to control the bleeding. We usually recommend uh, Simple measures at first, including direct pressure, if you're able to identify the source of the bleeding and apply direct pressure to the wound. EMS also has the availability of different hemostatic agents, which in combination with direct pressure can facilitate clotting of life-threatening bleeding. Another thing that is uh, commonly available is tourniquets, which if it's an extremity wound, such as in this case, it could potentially be applied if there's room between the injury and the patient's core to actually apply a tourniquet. Do, can you go over what the current rules are about medical helicopters carrying blood in New York State? So sure, uh, currently the New York State Department of Health has a division that oversees transfusion medicine, which includes in the pre-hospital setting. Due to the current uh, legislation, EMS agencies uh, have very difficult hurdles to overcome to be able to store and or administer blood products. Something that many people may be aware of now is recently in the news, the legislator 
has passed a new bill that's being uh, sent over to the governor for his review and hopefully signature that would enable air EMS agencies to transfuse blood in the pre-hospital setting. So would the air ambulances carry just the O negative, the universal donor, or because, or would they carry a variety of blood types? How, how would that work? I'm not sure on all of the details yet, and I'm not sure if all the logistics have been worked out, um, but certainly, as you mentioned, O negative being the universal donor would be the most logical if they are going to carry any blood product. And then certainly there are concerns, logistics, and other operationally to have different blood products, not only in storing them, but ensuring that the transfusion is administered uh, to the correct patients and in a safe manner with appropriate oversight. Now, when you say to the correct patients, would anyone with uncontrolled bleeding get whole blood automatically, or are there other factors to consider? There are always factors to consider, and as is the case in most things in medicine, there's definitely a risk versus benefit. And even things that have the potential for life-saving uh, measures can have kind of unforeseen or unsought adverse events. So I would say that the severity of the patient's injury, their clinical condition, and anticipated transport time are definitely factors that would play into the decision whether or not to initiate a transfusion of blood product in the pre-hospital setting, if available. Now, if these changes take place in New York State, would they apply only to medical helicopters or would they apply to ambulances on the ground? To my knowledge, this bill is only for air transport ambulance service providers, uh, which are regarded as providing the highest level of pre-hospital care available to critically ill and injured patients, especially in the state of New York. I think that enabling transfusion for air medical providers would likely allow for development of policies, procedures, and oversight for pre-hospital transfusion that then may be able to be extrapolated to ground ambulances in the future. You're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, and my guest is Dr. Jordan Holliday, an assistant professor of emergency medicine at Upstate University Hospital. And we're talking about how pre-hospital blood transfusions may be life-saving in certain situations. So people who have taken a first aid class may remember to use direct pressure to control bleeding, but in situations where that's not enough, can you talk about the tools paramedics have to treat someone who's losing a lot of blood? So in addition to direct pressure, there are hemostatic agents, the most common uh, we acknowledged or known as probably combat gauze which contains agents that help to facilitate clotting of blood when applied with direct pressure. Uh, for extremity wounds or wounds that are amenable to tourniquet application, that's also another more invasive uh, form of addressing life-threatening hemorrhage. Particularly tourniquets are limited though to extremities. And as we mentioned earlier, if patients are entrapped or entangled in equipment or motor vehicle um, collision, this can be difficult to actually apply a tourniquet proximal to the wound. So when you mention, let me back up a little bit on the hemostatic agents, the, the gauze, is this a gauze that is treated with something that helps the blood clot? Yes. So there are a variety of products, each of which kind of contains a unique or a different 
compound that facilitates uh, blood clot formation. And then it's also important to recognize and appreciate that application of the hemostatic agent itself uh, won't necessarily stop the bleeding, but that it should be used in conjunction with application of direct pressure. And so is direct pressure usually, I mean, is, is that very effective for a lot of wounds? It usually is if you are able to identify where the source of the bleeding is coming from and then actually apply kind of targeted direct pressure. Oftentimes we'll see people apply numerous gauze pads and things like that, which then actually kind of distribute the force away from the source of the bleeding. So if you're able to identify one particular area that's a major source of the bleeding, that's ideal. It is important to acknowledge also that this will be very uncomfortable for the patient, particularly since they already are likely in significant pain from their injury. Um, can you talk a little bit about normal saline? What is that used for? Sure, uh, so it has very limited, if any, use in the setting of trauma patients. Uh, certainly, hopefully it will soon be replaced by the availability of blood products. Um, normal saline is an intravenous fluid that can be useful for volume replacement mostly in the setting of dehydration and in some electrolyte disturbances. In the setting of trauma, however, when patients are losing blood, uh, administration of normal saline can improve the patient's vital signs temporarily, but may dilute their remaining clotting factors, as well as normal saline is often colder than the patient's body temperature, so it can contrib contribute to hypothermia and worsen the patient's acidosis, which then further uh, complicates their coagulopathy or ability to clot in the setting of trauma. So it's not really um, it's not really a good blood substitute. Are are there any good quality blood substitutes on the market? There are some substitutes that are aimed at oxygen carrying capacity, which normal saline does not have, but blood products, um, particularly red blood cells, do. Um, however, to my knowledge, there's been no real research into or discussion of these substitutes um, with pertaining to application in the pre-hospital setting, especially within New York State. I see. Well, your colleagues from the trauma team support an educational program called Stop the Bleed that trains regular people how to stop bleeding in emergencies. What's most important for people to know about how to control a severe injury with bleeding? I think that education empowers bystanders to uh, participate in controlling life-threatening hemorrhage if they come across it either in themselves or um, someone else. I think that emphasizing simple measures also empowers individuals to get involved rather than remaining as a bystander. And then time can obviously be a major role in limiting or preventing further blood loss, especially if blood products aren't available to replace what the patient has lost. The Stop the Bleed course um, through the American College of Surgeons is aimed at simple measures to control life-threatening hemorrhage, starting with things such as direct pressure or compression dressings, as well as review of some of the hemostatic agents and wound packing if a wound is amenable to packing, mostly on an extremity. And then if hemorrhage continues despite those interventions, then a tourniquet can be applied. And I know during the pandemic, these um, classes really haven't been held in person because of the pandemic. 
but people could find them through the American College of Surgeons or through the Upstate Medical University trauma team has information available as well, right? Correct. I believe that the national organization is stopthebleed.org. And then there is a dedicated page through Upstate's uh, trauma surgery program that in the future, individuals will be able to find available courses to sign up for. Well, let me ask you, um, as we wrap up, one sort of practical question. If someone were to cut their finger, how would you advise them to control the bleeding and how would they know if they need medical attention? I would say that starting simply, if you keep the injury above the level of the heart, if possible, and then apply direct pressure to the source of the bleeding as targeted as, as you can. So minimizing the amount of gauze used Obviously, if it's yourself versus someone else, um, minimizing your exposure to bloodborne pathogens is also a point that should be emphasized and to keep yourself safe before intervening on other people. And then if you're able to control a wound with direct pressure, you should be able to assess whether it may um, still gape apart, which could be an indication that it needs some uh, tissue adhesive or skin glue or possibly stitches or sutures. All right. Well, thank you so much to Dr. Jordan Holliday. He's an assistant professor of emergency medicine at Upstate University Hospital. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and radio talk show, HealthLink on Air.